1: shall be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Hey everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest. This is Nathan. And this is Charlie. We're your hosts for today. And uh, we have been recently traveling around the globe and seeing incredible impact. Incredible impact for the kingdom on the mission field. I mean, exciting things. We're seeing people... Deciding to follow Jesus. When you say impact, that's what you were saying. Like The like kingdom the, advancing. The message of Jesus, the news of Jesus yes. is, is being received and heard by people who aren't hearing it. People being loved, receiving hope who've never received it before, who don't have opportunity typically. Unreached people, people who don't have access to Bibles, to the gospel, they're hearing it and they're open to it. They're open to discussing it. And some of them to even be leaving and leaving behind their old way for Jesus's way. Anyway, we're seeing incredible impact happen in people's lives. And we wanted to talk about today how are we seeing that impact? Like we're witnessing it through other people and places and as we travel around seeing it happen in lots of different ways. But from our perspective, from at least what we've seen at this point, what is the most impact impactful way that we're seeing it? Who right. who could we dare say is Seeing the most fruit, sure. and and I realize when I say that there are people who are having impact and seeing fruit all over the place in all right. sorts of unique ways. But are there? Is there a certain group or a certain type of person or a method? Like, are there people who are having an extremely fruitful impact?
0: Right. And before we get too far, this is not a podcast about saying your method is <laughs> wrong and our <laughs> method is right, and you're bad and we're good and this and that. That there's already plenty of that happening in the global church and in the missions movement. There's no need for more of it. In fact, I've tried to dedicate myself to not casting stones when it comes to methodologies. Um, If God's leading you to do something in a particular way and you're being obedient to his voice, who am I to say that you're doing it wrong? You know, and the same thing's true for me.
1: I like, uh, Ying and Grace Kai, um, were Chinese missionaries inside China and multiplying an immense amount of disciples, seeing incredible movement happen, and I love something that they wrote in their book Training for Trainers. Uh, he says, we don't criticize other people. We have decided that we would devote all of our thoughts and energy toward what God has asked us to do right? and leave the rest up to those people in God. You know, <clears throat> I
0: find this the, the heart or the the mindset that gives birth to criticism is one of two things: either it's insecurity about what you're doing, or it's insecurity about what you're not doing mm. uh, I or fi- or the result you're not seeing right. So I find that when people point the finger and say "You're doing it wrong, oftentimes it's because they feel a sense of inferiority mm. in either what they are doing or what they're not doing
1: and uh, or or maybe could we say, It could also come from a sense of pride at how much has happened through you. Sure. And so you think I've got the right way figured out and anybody who does it differently won't see as much as I've seen. Right. And I'm not saying that everybody, everybody out there who says, hey, this method
0: is really working well, has that heart. But those who cut down others who are attempting to move the mission forward and who want to see Jesus's fame increased and who want to see the gospel advance like there's no need to cut people down and it may be like a gentle like hey (laughs) like have you considered this or have you thought about this is worthwhile but a sorry your method will never work it won't work like that in my opinion it's not productive
1: I, i think there's a careful balance to be had if you're partnering with somebody you can have more conversation about it or if you're really honestly evaluating what's bearing the most fruit because there is a place, I believe, for actually saying what's having the most impact in this region with these people. And it's important. For example, illiterate people, I can tell you, your method's wrong if it's reading the Bible. (laughs) It's wrong.
0: It doesn't work. Well, it'll take a really long time and a lot of resources to make it work. If your
1: method is storytelling and and oral and audio Bibles, okay, you might be on it. Like there is, we're not saying that there's never a time to sure. evaluate method yeah. and that there aren't methods that are wrong. Right. Sometimes there are. Yeah, um, We're saying, hey, let's be careful that we don't cut down people's characters and demoralize and, and just like take all the air out of them when mm-hmm. we say something. Like, let's have a heart to encourage one another, as the scripture says, as long as it's called today. And in that heart of love, let's just make sure we have a heart of love if we're going to talk about method with anybody.
0: Absolutely. All right, so all that to say... The thrust of this podcast or the goal of this <laughs> podcast is what are we seeing be very effective?
1: Yeah. So there's all sorts of people and all sorts of methods going on. Although with that, I'll also say there's not enough people out in the field. There's not enough uh, it, laborers or those who are proclaiming Jesus among the unreached. There's not enough. Right. I mean, and
0: you hear us say that all the time, but I don't think it can be overstated. Like there, there's so much... Need And so few people who are engaging Mm. with that need. Like, it cannot be overstated. There needs to be more workers, more laborers.
1: So we see harvest fields. um, You can define harvest field when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful as people and their needs. And we're seeing it everywhere. Mm. Uh, And there's not enough people to meet the needs of those people, to help those who are suffering, to bring hope in Jesus' name, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples. There's not enough happening. And I love this quote. Uh, there's a, a Christian leader who who made the quote. He said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice before others have heard it once? Now, mm. I realize that's a dramatic statement, and it's meant to be dramatic. I'm not saying that we shouldn't share the gospel twice with people when we meet them. Sure. The intent of that is to say, Globally, as a church, we've focused on those who already have the gospel, who have access to the gospel, and we've neglected to even think about those who never have the chance to hear even if they wanted to. Right. And I would tell you that everywhere there's need for these laborers, uh, even in places that are reached, there's still a great need for laborers to go do the work of the kingdom. But there are places where not only is there a need for more laborers, there's a need for a laborer because there's zero. <laughs> yeah. and. I think it's interesting to think about those types of places and even places that are reached but need laborers, but especially the unreached, where there's zero laborers, zero believers. What's the most effective way to reach those people uh, in places like that? That's the question we've witnessed recently around the globe, the answer to that question, I think, not that we'll never see new answers in the future, but we've witnessed the answer to that question. And before we answer it, I think it's helpful to to historically unpack what other ways are we seeing. Absolutely. Um, So
0: we've got got like the traditional church movement where we've got like a singular leader standing on a stage proclaiming a message to an audience. And that is something that you see all over the world. Yes. Every country that I've been in so far where I've been able to
1: participate in a local church, that's been the method. And um, I would even say that Sometimes the method is not, it's not that you get there as believers, because we always believe in the proclaiming of God's word yeah. and growth spiritually for believers, but it's that there's a method of start this church gathering and then find the people to come. Right. Or even like build the building first. Exactly. So yeah. build a building, put a stage in there, find one or two people to start with you, and then you start preaching to those five people that you started with and then eventually the building will fill up and you hope people come yeah and you invite them that's a method that's going on right now it's a very common method i I don't personally think it's the most effective although god has used it yeah and it also go figure that the word would not return to him void exactly i would also say it depends on where you're at in the world Mm. if you're in a country that's open and by open i mean the government or the community are not stopping the spread of the gospel. It's not illegal to proclaim Jesus and become a disciple. It's not illegal to preach. An open country, mm. I think it's easier there. But if you're talking somewhere like North Korea, forget it. Yeah, it's I, I, not even possible. Right, Somalia, not even possible. Um, lots of places like that. Uh, uh, Iran,
0: Afghanistan. Th- yeah.
1: Do you think you're going to build a building, put a cross outside, and say, "Come on to my service on Sunday"? <laughs> you're going to be drug out and killed or put in prison pretty fast. Right. So that's a method. Um, I would say another method uh, is send a missionary from the church in the West. They raise lots of money and they go and live overseas full time. They learn the language. They build their house. They live among the people and they raise the amount of money that it would take them to travel, to live, uh, to get trained, to be sustained there to to live the way they're used to living in the west now overseas. Yeah, if you're there's a whole book written about this mentality called
0: uh a revolution in world missions. It was written by the guy who started Gospel for Asia and uh he has quite a strong critique of yeah. it. Um and we're not here to sit here and critique it, but just to take note of, hey, this is a something yeah. that people are doing
1: and we're not saying we do or do not endorse him or his ministry we know there's been a lot of controversy and falling out with him yeah and so um we're just saying that to say there are those who critique methods and this is one of them and so he's he's critiqued it and so there are those who pack up their lives and move overseas and i'm not against that i have seen god use it incredibly so yeah I highly respect those who've said, I'm going to move my life in that way uh, because it was the call of God. It's not like they said, I, this sounds fun. Right. In, <laughs> in fact,
0: uh, many of those forerunners who went and packed all their stuff in a yeah. casket and are buried in the ground of the the place of the people that they were trying to minister to. like right. Many of those people advanced the kingdom
1: in a place that there was no kingdom to advance. And in fact, that actually opens up the door for this other model, yeah. the one in Revolution and World Missions, which is only support indigenous believers to multiply disciples, we we will support them, we will fund them, they will go, they will proclaim, they will be the ministers on ground, and they'll do it for far less money and far more effectively because that's their language, that's their culture, that's their people, they normally live that way. Now, I think both are effective in their different ways because— uh, there are stories even to this day of foreigners coming to those places, packing up their lives, raising the funds and moving there. And now the indigenous people point back to them saying they started this for right. us. They, th- We have a church movement because they came. The Underground Ch- House Church of China, which is well known that it's all Chinese leading it. It's not many Westerners are involved. But they will point back in their history to say, you know, several generations ago people came and suffered right. and shed their blood on our land for our sake right these cross-cultural missionaries
0: played a significant role and that's been true for a very long yes. time I <clears> mean <throat> if if you look at church history uh, the many of the 12 disciples ended up leaving Jerusalem and traveling to various
1: distant lands that were cross-cultural Thomas went to India yeah according to church history and um, Others went to Northern Africa. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they went everywhere. Paul had a heart to go to Spain, and some say he even made it there. He thought it was the ends of the earth. Yeah. Well, I mean, he made it to Europe. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So it just depends on whether he was executed before or after he made it to Spain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope he made it. I don't know if he did, but uh, it doesn't really matter, but his heart was to get there. Right. And so you see a movement birthed of people crossing cultures and going different places and... Um, Yes, this this model of sending Westerners and raising lots of funds has had its place. And yes, only supporting indigenous Christians and nationals, uh, the local people to reach their own people, that has had its place too. And I found it to be immensely impactful. Absolutely. They know the language. They know the people. They know the culture. They could do it for sometimes for $50 a month, not... $3,000 a month, $4,000 a month, $5,000 a month, $50 Absolutely. a month. Yeah. Only. Well, and and that means there's more of them. Right. Right. So uh, they have had their place. Um, we're not critiquing any of these. Yeah.
0: Um, in fact, if anything, we're saying, hey, look at all the fruit that has yeah, come as a result of them.
1: I think that depending on region, depending on person, depending on place, even depending on the season of history that we're in. Mm-hmm. Each one has its time. Each one has its place. There's a time for everything. And we just want to share what we've witnessed with our own eyes recently. It might be different with what you've seen. um, And we're not saying what you've seen or what you're doing is wrong. Hopefully you're hearing our heart. Uh, We've said it enough times. Hopefully you're hearing our heart. We're not here to correct or fix or whatever. We're excited about what God is doing in all these ways around the world. And we want to share what we've seen to be, I would argue, the most impactful for some of the most unreached places in the world. Yeah. And that is, let me tell you this, there's there's issues that have risen recently in in missions history, in this season of history. Mm. Uh. And that is, how do you send people if they don't have funding? Mm. Well, that doesn't work for Westerners because they have to have funding. Um, But what if you want than indigenous people local people well how how are we going to do that without sending support to them financially supporting them to do the ministry because to be a pastor or evangelist you have to have support like how are they going to make ends meet how are they going to live and reach people yeah and so what do we do um we have found that there's also another movement in the missions world called business as missions and launching businesses. And so the answer to that well, question has they, been...
0: They launch businesses for the sake of supporting their ministry. Yes. Yeah.
1: And so that's called BAM and the Missions World, Business as Mission. And so they start these businesses, and this has been done by foreigners and by nationals both, Yeah, where you launch a business and that sustains you and gives you your needs so that you can then do the ministry. Um, we have found it highly impactful at this point of history to see nationals launching businesses and using those as platforms for the gospel. Not only does it provide for their needs, but it also gives them opportunity to relationally connect with people in places around the world where it's highly restricted and highly persecuted. You, you can't possibly go there without a reason. Like even if a, a person who has lived and grown up in that country goes to another region, and this is in multiple countries in the middle East in Asia, um, Africa. Africa. Yeah. In the most restric- restricted, dangerous, persecuting nations of the world, people will be asked questions if they go to a different region. Like, why are you, why are why you, are you here? here?
0: You're just a farmer. You're just a this. Yeah. You're, just, you're just a that. <clears throat>
1: why Why would you ever need to even move five miles away from your home? Huge questions asked. And yeah. if they don't have a good answer, the result is bad. <laughs> right. They could be put in prison. They could be persecuted. They could be beaten. They could be killed. Yeah. And, uh they could be found out for being a believer openly in that region and even worse. And so the answer is business. Mm. Oh, I thought this was a good region to go and farm in this way. I thought this was a good region region to start this type of business, this shop or or this technology or help people in this way. Like I I I'm a businessman, sure. And people say, "Okay," and they let it happen. Right. Now That gets them an open door into a region that has otherwise been unreached and unaccessible to anybody. Now, because they have a business, they have employees, and they have customers. And those employees and those customers become people who have relationships with them and say, you're kind of different. Tell me about that. Right. And they begin to proclaim Jesus. And people we are finding are open to the gospel in areas of the world where they have never been open with any other model up to this point. Right what one, one thing that i just want to highlight here is the
0: ordinariness yes of this movement um the obviously business as mission has been around for as long as i can remember so it's been around for at least 20 years probably been around much longer than that even um so it's not some new phenomenon but what we're seeing is just ordinary people who have a heart for Jesus and and a desire to proclaim the message of Jesus to those who don't know him, utilizing ordinary means and creative ways to advance the gospel. We've got friends, both nationals and foreigners, who are in places doing business as mission, using the business, just like you're saying, as a platform for advancing the gospel. But in their heart, it's not about making money necessarily. They they Though, do want to make money because they they're make, good
1: business people. Right. Though they want <clears throat> to make money. But that's not
0: their end goal. Right. They're They're not there thinking, oh, I'm going to build up like this massive like church where I'm going to stand on a stage <laughs> and like we're going to build a big old building and like have the cross on the front and everything like that. And I'm going to be famous and everybody's going to know my name. That's not what they're up to. They're up to starting businesses and starting movements of people that are just like I don't know, for lack of a better phrase, like these house church movements of like people meeting with one another, discipling one another, loving Jesus and 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 advancing his mission wherever their feet take him.
1: Yeah. And so when we ask the question, what is the most impactful or who's having the most impact on the mission field in the most unreached of the world today? Ordinary people. Yeah. Ordinary, not a big missionary evangelist on a stage with a microphone or famous musician. And it's funny to say that because we've preached at these types of events. It's not we, a, we are those people standing at, on stages from with time to time. Yes. Yeah. And so we could all, we are doing what God has called us to do, but at the same time saying the most impactful, effective way that we've witnessed with our eyes in some of the most unreached places of the world are ordinary people living ordinary lives yet advancing the kingdom every day. In in normal places, in their workplace, yeah. in in their business place, in their community, reaching people, relationally connecting with them and proclaiming the gospel. Because a vocational professional minister would never survive a day in those places. <laughs> I would not survive a day in those places if I wasn't there as a businessman with a reason. Right. They, they would be like, bro, get off the stage, get out of our country. Probably we want to behead you or put you in prison or just blacklist you and get you out to never come back. And guess what? I'll never reach those people. Right. But those ordinary laborers who say, you know what, I'm going to risk my life and I'm going to go live here and be in the community and and live as a business person and I'll have relationships and I'll lead these people to Jesus because of it. Um, Those are the type of people who are reaching those who've never been yet reached in this time and day of history. Right.
0: Yeah. I think it's important for us to remember that that's part of the definition of what a true believer is. Remember, a believer is not just somebody who's sitting in a pew, listening to a sermon on a day-to-day basis. These people are true believers, but someone who is engaging with the fullness of the commands of Jesus, not just living uh, a holy life, not just living a life set apart, but living a life that obeys every command of Jesus, including his command to share the good news with others. And That's just part of being an ordinary, everyday believer.
1: Yeah, I would call that a follower of Jesus who becomes a kingdom laborer because I think—I just want to give a caveat here. Um, I believe you can still be saved by grace as a believer who has not yet obeyed every command of Jesus. Oh, yeah, of course. So you may be like, well, bro, I, I can't do that. I can't obey every command every day. And, yeah, we get it. Like, God's grace is what has saved you, not any work of yourself. And his grace is also what empowers you and motivates you and compels you. And our heart is that you don't remain simply believing and confessing Christ, but that you put it all into action as a laborer for the kingdom.
0: I don't mean to miscommunicate. What I'm trying to say is, yeah, of course you can believe and be saved and not be like perfectly following every one of Jesus's commands. But we have misdefined the word. We did a whole episode on that. We've misdefined the word believer to not include every aspect of following Jesus. We've said, oh, you're a believer if you've said a prayer at some point or whatever, but that's not that, that's not how these people in these different countries who are business people advancing the mission of Jesus, that, that's not how they are viewed. They're not seeing themselves as like some fancy missionary. They're not seeing themselves as vocational church workers. They're seeing themselves as ordinary, everyday people who love Jesus. They just believe in Jesus and believe in his commands.
1: Yeah. All that to say,
0: <clears throat> it, our definition of the word believer really needs to expand to include being a kingdom laborer, mm. being someone who's uh, pursuing holiness and pursuing all of the commands of Jesus.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, these people, you may never know their name. Yep. You may never meet them. They'll never be in the news, probably. They're, they're not going And if they are in the news, it's <laughs> not going to be a good day. Yeah. Um— they're not writing books and and on TV as a televangelist. They're not famous musicians. They're nobodies. Yeah, You will probably never meet them. And yet God is using them to do the impossible. Places where mission strategists have thought and prayed and, and spent days agonizing, Lord, how will we reach these people? Lord, who will you send? Mm. God has answered mm. with ordinary no names etc I love that that idea of being an an etc in God's kingdom and they've answered the call they said God is calling me and you let's say you could go to some of these places for tourism which many of them you can't Um, it's too dangerous some of them you can but you probably wouldn't recognize these people like you wouldn't know who they were you wouldn't know where to find them they would just blend in you can't go on Google Maps and say where's his church Yeah. Like, is there a building that says so-and-so church down the street? There's not. Mm. You can't do that. It's too dangerous. So they meet secretly in house churches, and those are those who've come to Christ. And yet sometimes there's even a process for those who have come to Christ. How long do we wait until we trust them to come into the community of believers? Because there are those who pretend to come to Christ and then turn everybody in, Mm. and they all get rounded up and put in prison or persecuted. And so— it's a whole nother world, um, yet God is on the move through ordinary, everyday people who have said yes to Jesus, to love him, to love others, and advance the kingdom wherever their feet go. And I I love it. Uh, we probably mentioned this verse on the podcast before. Several dozen times, I think. Um, Acts chapter 8. <laughs> yeah. uh, I love the story that unpacks through the book of Acts. Just this morning we were discussing Acts chapter 4 and how the community of God came together and they they broke bread together. They devoted themselves to prayer and to fellowship and, and to the apostles' teaching. I think that's Acts chapter 2. Sorry, yeah, that's Acts 2. Then you get, that's after Peter preaches and many come to Christ. Then you get to Acts chapter 4 and the same community is coming together, having everything in common, selling their property so that they can give to each other's needs and support one another. And This all began because they prayed that they would preach the word of God with boldness. The Lord immediately answered their prayer. They were filled with the spirit and began to proclaim the word of God boldly. And then this community emerged. Mm. And this community continues through the book of Acts. But when you get to Acts chapter 8, it's fascinating what happens with this community. It says Saul was persecuting the church. And as that was happening, uh, it says that everyone except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 4 it says those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Mm. So who was scattered? Not the church leaders. They were not scattered. It was the others. Yeah. We don't have their names. We don't know their faces. They don't have a whole book of the Bible written by them or about them. We have one sentence about them. Right. Except all all except were scattered. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's all we know. They so who were they? They were the ordinary believers, the ones you never knew their name, never knew their face. They weren't on a stage. They didn't have a microphone. They weren't famous in any sort of way. They were ordinary, everyday believers who believed in Jesus and his mission, and everywhere their feet went, they preached the word. They told everybody about Jesus, and that's what birthed the movement in the book of Acts, and I believe that's why it's most impactful to this day. At least what we've witnessed is that they're ordinary, everyday people advancing the kingdom wherever their feet go. Yeah. I
0: just finished reading this very fascinating secular book uh, that takes a sociological lens on the rise of the early church. So why do we have Christianity in the numbers that we have it today from a secular sociological perspective? And it's very fascinating. This author argues that Christianity advanced way more, like the vast majority of Christian advancement happened Not at major rallies, not at big events, but person to person, friend to friend, family member to family member. That's how the good news spread, which is just so, it's so true. I mean, we see it in Acts 8, chapter 1 through 4, and we see it
1: all over the New Testament, and we're seeing it in the world today. And that means you can do it. Right. It doesn't take a crazy, out-of-the-box person. It takes you. In fact, the, there are people, ordinary
0: everyday people, who have had such an extraordinary impact. They just in, encounter, uh, sorry, them loving and training and advancing the gospel in the lives of others, who love and train and advance the gospel in the lives of others, who love and train and advance the gospel in the lives of others. There are no-name people out there who, you, you'll like Charlie was saying, they're not going to be famous people that you know about who have churches bigger and more more productive than even famous evangelists like Billy yeah. Graham. Like, there are there are people out there who are leading millions to Jesus because they're just ordinary, everyday
1: people loving others multiplying. and multiplying. One life at a time. And while we say that, we're not against those big events no, and those evangelists. Um, one factor that led to my grandfather's salvation, which led to my salvation— was a Billy Graham crusade in 1955 in Scotland, yep. and I've heard countless other stories how Billy Graham crusades led to other people's salvation, who have an incredible impact to this day. Um, we also see this type of model in the Book of Acts too. Mm. People proclaiming to large crowds. Peter was doing it in the early church, and that birthed that thousands some thousands of people coming to Christ. So again, we're not saying that any way is necessarily wrong. But in certain regions and for such a day and such a time as this, we are seeing God use ordinary people in their everyday places to do the extraordinary for the kingdom. And they would be places that you think are extreme. (laughs) Like nobody can do that. Nobody can go there. It's not possible. Yeah. You think that these people are something special, that they're secret agents, that they're this, they're that. How could they do this? They must have the greatest faith in the world. Let me tell you, we've met them. We've spent time together. We've prayed. We've hung out. And they're normal people. Oh, they they like ice cream. They like their waffles. Normal. They like their coffee. They they like the Batman movie. Yeah, they want to go, <laughs> like, could we go see Batman tonight? Like, uh, they're normal people. Or they're farmers. They wake up, they farm, they go to bed. They're normal people. Yeah. Yet they've said yes to Jesus, and he's done the extraordinary, and he can do the same through you. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone,
0: so much for joining this latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest. We so appreciate you all and appreciate those of you who share and like and unsubscribe and resubscribe and all that jazz. Thank you so much for doing that. Hey, just a reminder about the Forge app. You can find it with tons of free resources and content at theforgeapp.com. Uh, that's no spaces in any of that. And uh, you, yeah. you can also search forging lives on your phone's app store or a Google Play store. Yeah, so we'd love to put that in your hands. And if uh, you guys ever have any questions or comments or concerns or feelings or thoughts or emotions or whatever that you would like to share with us, we'd love to hear it. Feel free to reach out to us at peoplefortheharvest.com. Anyway, thanks so much for your time. Hope you have a great rest of your day.